You're tuning into the Active Mom Podcast with physical therapist, Dr. Carrie Pagliano, a real mom's guide to all things postpartum return to workouts after baby. If you're a postpartum mom, coach, trainer, or physical therapist looking for answers on how to get back to running, CrossFit, yoga, Pilates, HIIT, you name it without the fear of pelvic floor issues or doing something wrong, this is the podcast for you. Let's start the show. All right. Super special guest on the Active Mom Postpartum podcast today. Uh, we have my hip surgeon from 16 years ago. I know it, it's like a whole other lifetime. Um, Dr. Derek Ochi is at Nursal Orthopedics in um, Arlington, Virginia. We have known each other a very, very long time. And um, I want to talk hips and pelvic floors and all that fun stuff, because as you and I both know, there is a boatload of crossover. Um, so when when did you first get kind of I don't know, turned on to the idea that, that, that there could be stuff going on um, because you've done hips, gosh, how long now? Yeah, I, I did my first hip arthroscopy. I think it was 2000 and, uh, 2003 is yep. when I did, did my first uh, one and then became really a major part of my practice in like 2006-ish. Um, yeah. I, so I really didn't think that uh, pelvic floor issues and, and hips. I, I, I looked at them like a Venn diagram where like there's one big circle over on the one side and yep. there's one circle on the other side and they, they're just like a bunch of space between them. Yep. Um, so then I, I got a referral. I think I was looking back at my notes. I think it was like 2009 mm -hmm. uh, where I got a referral from um, somebody who I later found out is like a well-known pelvic floor surgeon uh oh. that, that uh sent a patient over to me that uh had vulvodynia and oh yeah i this is all kind of vaguely familiar and i'm remembering now like because i think we were starting to get some crossover and people connecting between yeah. the, the the pelvic floor surgeons and and you yeah right so so um he had uh gone ahead and gotten an mri of this patient's hip and mm -hmm. You know, they had a label tear in their hip. And so they were sent over to me and they had a, a bunch of very, I mean, I think I, I'm not a pelvic floor doctor, um, a bunch of reasonable conservative treatment, yeah. you know, uh, you know, suppositories, uh, internal pelvic floor therapy, um, and not getting better. And yeah. So I, I I I saw the patient and her her hip exam was really not impressive. It was mm -hmm. not, you know, like your your typical signs of a label tear with like you know an Arlington test and internal impingement test. You know, th those are not they 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 didn't strike me as like a, a person I would typically operate on. But she'd been having these issues for a couple of years and, and I, you know, I said, okay, well, you know, why don't we try a cortisone injection to your hip? Um, yeah. You know, let's, let's see, you know, if we, you know, biochemically calm down your inflammation from your label tear, let's see what happens. And for like two months, her symptoms improved and then went back. Right. So, yeah, and then I did a little bit more research and like there was a small study, I think it was out of New York where, you know, they were talking about a correlation between pelvic floor and uh, and hip label tears. And, 
Yeah, so I said, well, you know, like you got a positive response to the cortisone injection. The only and the only place that went was inside of your hip joint, and the only thing wrong with your hip joint is your label tear. So let's go ahead and fix it. Yeah, and so I did, and her symptoms got better, and she was fine. Uh, I. So after that, um, I started to do a little bit more. I mean, I'm certainly not seeing patients with pelvic floor dysfunction primarily. I mean, right. I, think that, I think a lot of people have, uh, you know, pelvic floor dysfunction without having. Oh, a, totally, hundred percent. Label tear and so, vice versa. Yeah. yeah so, so I don't <laughs> think I'm the, the right person to see for, for pelvic floor, but. Um, yeah, I think when when conservative treatment fails, I mean, I think you know, looking outside of the pelvic floor to the hip joint, yeah, um, you know, makes sense. I, I probably operated on like a dozen patients, mm-hmm. um, you know, female more than male, but but right. both with uh, with pelvic floor dysfunction, uh, who also have have labral tears. A lot of them do have some hip pain, so it's not like solely pelvic floor, right? For for most of them, but. Um, you know, a, a a good majority of those patients do get better. Not not all of them, um, but but a, a lot do. After you know, when it's appropriate, I always worry about the the people with asymptomatic label tears. So the yeah, I see them I wanted all the time. to talk about that because that's something that I see come up, and it's such a twist from like back. I, I joke around that I had hip surgery before a rod and Lady Gaga, so I set the trend <laughs> right. Um, but like it, the only reason like you were just starting to do them because people weren't scoping hips mm-hmm. back then. And now it's like, now that you can scope now, what do you find? And I find like so many women are like, oh, I have a labral tear. And back, you know, 15 years ago, we're like, okay, that's interesting. But now it's like, kind of like, and so, I mean, how do you figure out which ones are surgical and which ones are kind of conservative treatment because you're a huge proponent for for physical therapy. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the short answer is I try physical therapy on everybody. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then and then let that, you know, let it sort itself out after that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some rare, rare exceptions, like a, yeah. like a traumatic label tear. Right. Um, you know, maybe a young athlete with a large paralabel cyst from a label tear, which you know that their suction seal isn't working. So maybe there's some exceptions, but right. for the most part, you know, try physical therapy first. Core gluteal strengthening is a hallmark of non-surgical treatment. See if their symptoms get better with something that's really non-invasive yeah. and self-sustainable because you can continue your home exercise sizes after you're you're done with therapy. Yeah. Um, For the rehab, knowing kind of that evolution as well, and I have my own thoughts, like, how do you kind of look back on the rehab that we did say, you know, 15 years ago to compared to the rehab that we're doing now? Like, what's the biggest change that you've seen in and and how has that kind of affected outcomes? Well, I think the, the the biggest change is that our just our understanding both from the physical therapy world and a, and a uh, you know sports medicine orthopedic surgery world it, it has grown leaps and bounds. Oh yeah, like what you know, like you know, like the labrum is not like a like an appendix or like a you know like an a useless piece of tissue that you right. can just you know take out without any consequence. Yeah. Um, so we're we're really working with like from a 
from a PT standpoint, we're working, you know, really more like going more towards like the posterior chain as opposed to, you know, the front of the hip and like yeah. just doing a bunch of like, you know, straight leg raises to try to strengthen your hip up. Um, you know, we're, we're really working more, you know, on that. We're, um, you know, realizing that, you know, like hip spine syndrome is, yes. is huge. And, you know, you know, looking at, uh, you know, pelvic obliquity and, and lumbar tilt. And, you know, if you can, imp- if somebody has like a um, excessive lumbar lordosis, that's going to change their hip flexion angle um, to where they impinge. So you can actually, by changing your back, you can actually change, you know, how your, you know, a position that was symptomatic for you could be asymptomatic or yep. like no pain uh, with the, with the same motion, just changing changing the back. I mean, those, yeah. so so from from a therapy standpoint, I think that has been you know the the biggest change is that we're looking outside of the hip and yeah. you know looking at everything surrounding the hip and having a better understanding of that. Yeah, I think so too. The other one I think um, as well is just all the research on load and kind of adding resistance training and that kind of stuff has come leaps and bounds as well for, I think a lot of different things, tendinopathy as well. It's just like a lot of different areas. And for me, that was my big game changer. I started lifting, I guess it was seven or eight. No, it had to be longer, maybe eight years ago now. Um, and that just, that, that was amazing. And the fact that like everything still feels good I'm like, I'm starting to maybe think about doing another marathon. And the last one I did was before my hip surgery, which is when I had hip pain and that kind of stuff too. So I'm like, all right, lifting heavy weights. I wish we'd had that 15 years ago. <laughs> that yeah, would have been no, nice. I mean, it's like, I mean, progressive like weightlifting. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I post some stuff on Twitter. I think I posted a couple of weeks ago, some guy like deadlifting a bunch of weight, like, you know, mm-hmm. eight weeks, 10 weeks out after his hip scope. So yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm a fan. I like, you know, weighted squats past 90 degrees. I'm not as big a fan of, um, because I think that loads your anterior labrum when you, you know, have had like a, you know, label repair reconstruction, but, um, in general, I, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, no, me too. For you, like when you see women who are kind of like, childbearing years what are what are the biggest kind of hip complaints that you see um primarily for for postpartum women I mean I I don't know if you remember like way way back in the day I actually did my um my DPT capstone project on I think it was like labral and SI issues or things like that in um after delivery in a pregnant woman or something like that but like are are you seeing anything that's like specific to um, women who are childbearing age or, or postpartum or things like that as far as hips go? Yeah, I mean, I I um I, I remember you doing that. I think I I, I also did a, a presentation at at Anna like years ago about um you know hip label tears after delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, uh, yeah. I mean, certainly there's a lot of like in. Uh, hormonal yes changes that yeah. you know in- increase flexibility and you know like if you're under an epidural an- analgesia you know with de- delivery like i remember one 
uh, patient of mine swears that she tore labrum when her husband was pushing her knee down uh, so that he could see the baby come out. <laughs> that, that might be a complicated one to kind of tease through there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, mean, I, I certainly see it a lot after, um, you know, like, uh, you know, like during pregnancy or after delivery, yeah. you know, change in, you know, you, you load your anterior hip more because of the change in weight. It's going more anterior. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, you know, label tears, I mean, at least in my practice, because I'm a specialized sports medicine, hip right. arthroscopy practice. I mean, you know, people with like bursitis aren't usually going to come to see me unless right. there's a, an issue and they're not getting better with somebody else's treatment yeah so you know so label tears is, is the most common but you know hip you know th there's other things there's like you know hip flexor tendonitis can still happen it's not all right. label tears you know there can yep. be you know hip flexor tendonitis it does get better with physical therapy and stretching and you know and, and non-surgical treatment um hip bursitis i mean it's really it really shouldn't call it that it's really gluteal tendinosis or right. um degeneration of your gluteal tendons i mean that's that's really common and it's you know mainly because just like our rotator cuffs in our shoulders we don't really exercise our rotator cuffs per se there's just you know part of a stabilizing of your shoulder well your your gluteal tendons are, are similar in that yep. you know you're not really like directly exercising. So that like, even though the rest of you can be strong, you can still have weak gluteal muscles. And yeah. you know, that, it also goes along with low back pain. So low back and hip, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, especially in like PT world, I think we've really kind of grasped onto, you know, the gluteal tendinopathy and those sorts of things. I'm waiting for the public to stop blaming the piriformis, the poor piriformis, like it's just yeah. been beaten up for years. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what about, um, uh, cause we are, we are in the most active city in the country, um, a couple years running now, I think, um, what about specifically runners? Um, and what are you seeing kind of hip wise typically with female runners, any difference from, you know, those ones that are coming in 20 something like I did versus, you know, the thirties, forties, 50 year old runner, what are you seeing from a hip perspective? Um, I mean, certainly with somebody with like subclinical FAI or impingement, um, mm -hmm. their symptoms are going to be gradual and onset. And a lot of times those symptoms will be a combination of their label tear. And then because of the label tear, starting to get early arthritis in their hip. So you know, yeah. somebody who's, you know, you know, a runner in their 50s and they come to see me and you know, if they have impingement on x-ray, they, they probably also have a little bit of arthritis because, mm -hmm. you know, like they had that impingement since they were skeletal mature at age like 14 or 15. Right. You know, so you're talking about three and a half decades of, you know, using their hip. Um, you know, their labrum probably tore like a decade ago or like, right. you know, like kind of degeneratively torn and then it's not protecting the gliding cartilage. So, you know, like some mild arthritis and label tears that you, you see that and that, that'd be a whole other podcast on what do you do right. with that. <laughs> um, 
but that's that's um, that's relatively common in in runners because you know unlike ballet dancers or figure skaters or or gymnasts where they're they're putting their hip to a hyperphysiologic load. I mean, a lot of people can't put their hip in the position that a ballet dancer right. can you know routinely puts their hip in. So usually those people beat up their labrum and tear it really quickly and noticeably and they're symptomatic really early on, you know? Mm -hmm. So in some ways that's, in some ways that's good because you can get to the hip before the cartilage starts to degenerate. So mm. before they start getting any arthritis, you can right. address the hip. Now the downside is they're going to go back to being a ballet dancer, which is right. a, you know, is the, that's the most hip intensive sport that right. I treat is ballet. Yeah. Um, but the the but you can but you can cure them and you can get to them before the cartilage damage uh, occurs. So you know those explosive high uh, mobility hip athletes, you a lot of times you get symptomatic label tears without having any articular cartilage damage at all. Yeah. Um, you know when it's more distance loading like you know repetitive. Yep. The, those are not as symptomatic when they tear their labrums. So then they just continue to keep going because it's yep. really not that bad for them. And then their cartilage starts to degenerate as their labrum continues to yeah. degenerate as well. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, I, I, you know, I was never a dancer, um, never could get my hip there anyway. So that's why, um, but that's actually one of the questions that I ask, um, new clients when they come in is if they danced as a kid, um, mm -hmm. at, is it kind of gives us a sense of how they moved, you know, for a long time. And actually a lot of those patients end up with, um, and I, my, my theory is it's some sort of stability mechanism later on in life because they're not as active or working through those ranges of motion, but end up with more high tone pelvic floor, um, because they're looking for some stability mechanism. I don't know whether that's actually true or not, but typically mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we'll try and kind of address and downtrain. And typically they will have some, you know, past history with a hip issue or something like that. But that's where I think kind of understanding those sports, it can be incredibly helpful understanding biologically what somebody kind of gravitated to movement wise as a kid, if they're not doing it anymore as an adult, what issues can kind of sort of stem from that. But that's yeah, ex that's extremely interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, 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 I I'm like in, very interested in that. Um, you know, the other thing is that people who like tend to dance through high school and college, yeah. Um, tend to be like the best dancers in their class because they were good at it. So they tend to be hypermobile. They may mm -hmm. tend to be more likely to have, you know, like a clinical hypermobility syndrome like Ellis Danis right. syndrome. Yep. So, you know, I'm sure that that plays a role as well to well, and what I, you're seeing. I think with ballet too is, um, and any of those aesthetic sports, I mean, I think skating or gymnastics could be in there too, if it's the aesthetics that they were taught. And I mean, now me understanding, you know, having had a daughter myself and what she's being taught movement wise, if you're being taught as a three-year-old that you've got to hold yourself and that's what you learn from a movement strategy perspective, that's going to carry through for a really long time. Not yeah. to mention you live here in the DC metro area. And so everybody here is a little, you know, we're, we're wired a little bit tight. Um, I, I feel like 
there's definitely those things that we walk, you know, that we carry through from when we were kids. And when you're learning these movement strategies at such a small age, it can't help but be a bias. So I, yeah. I'd be curious someday, somebody needs to do that paper because I'm not going to, but. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, I mean, I'm really interested. Well, you know, like maybe you and I can get together because I, yeah. I always thought that, um, you know, I wanted to uh, make a new school of ballet. Mm-hmm. where 45 degrees of turnout is optimal like that's oh, wow. the most that's the most aesthetically pleasing is that okay and, and it's then, a whole new culture then <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole new culture. the little that i know about dance i work for um a practice that, that we both know um for a number of years uh, very focused on dance and it was just eye-opening to me. And it's it's funny, when my daughter was three, there's a dance studio across the street that's now closed. And I took her in. First day was great. They had a sub. The second day, the woman wouldn't let her participate. Like She sat out because she was a little nervous, but she wouldn't let her wear the tutu for the last part because she didn't participate in the whole thing. And I'm like, I'm out. I can't handle this because I'm not yeah. going to screw up her body. And I'm not going right. to... Girl's going to have the tutu. So. Yeah. <laughs> We'll we'll pull we'll, we'll pull Sky Donovan in, and she can do the IRB for us. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> Add that to the list. All right. So, when do you, as a hip surgeon, when are you like, hey, maybe you should kind of talk to somebody who is a pelvic floor PT, or is that something that usually you think comes more from a rehab kind of referral? I mean, it usually they usually come in already having seen pelvic floor therapists. I think it's Um, so much better than it used to be too. I mean, I think the the awareness from OBGYNs and uh, family practice physicians is is a lot higher with that uh, than it was 20 years ago. Yes. You know, so uh, now if somebody came in and they had like, erectile dysfunction, uh, vulvodynia, you know, like, you know, diffuse kind of cramping, perineal numbness. I mean, those kind of things where there's no... That's blatant, yeah. (laughs) Then I would say, like, look, I mean, I think, you know, you should see, you know, somebody like yourself or a a pelvic floor therapist. You know, know, ideally, somebody can also do physical therapy along with pelvic floor, but otherwise, like, you know, break it up and do both, you know, because I think they can both work hand in hand. Well, and I I Um, think now there's more... I feel like there's people that just go into orthopedics or just go into pelvic floor. I don't think there's as many of us that kind of straddle both lines. Um, but it's, it's a, it's fun though. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun when you get to play with pelvic floors and then also, you know, have, have them, you know, play with the barbell in the other room and that kind of stuff too. So, um, okay. Last question for you. Cause I know you got a jet. Um, if you are a, woman and you have hip pain and you Google FAI or you Google labral tear and you're like, oh, I should go to see somebody. How can we vet a good hip doctor? Um, that's, that's a hard question. Uh, <laughs> Come yeah. see you in Arlington. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would, um, all right. So if you're, I mean, if you're like 75 years old and somebody told you had arthritis, I mean, you don't need to see somebody like me. You, you mm-hmm. like, you need to see a general orthopedic surgeon and you know talk about hip replacement, which is a phenomenally successful operation. Um, you know, but if you know you're a young patient, no hip arthritis, um, I would. Uh, 
I would, you know, probably like look, you know, like try to get some names from the area, but try to look them up, see if they're members of ISHA, which is the Hip Pres International Hip Preservation Society. Um, so if they're a member, then at least you know that they're they're thinking about, you know, yep. always trying to get better and improve our, our outcomes. Um, if they're a member of ANA, AANA, it's the Arthroscopy Association North America. I mean, I think that would be really good. I mean, you can Google them specifically if they've got tons of articles on hip arthroscopy, if they have a Twitter site and then, you know, they have a bunch of like hip scope patient uh, pictures and things like that. I mean, you can get a sense from that too. But yeah, you know, like oh, the best thing to do though, like the best thing would be whatever area you're in, talk to the physical therapist yes okay and then ask them have you ever seen this doctor's patients in mm -hmm. rehab after hip arthroscopy and how have they done and would they recommend that doctor and i, I think that yeah. that's an excellent way of doing it as well that's awesome i do the same thing when i have patients that are moving to another state is i'll find them the pt that i know and i like and I'm like, go talk to them first and then figure out who they like. So yeah, no, I, we, we know the best ones, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. If you want to know more about Dr. Ochi, you can find him on Twitter or whatever they're calling it this week. Um, he, he's all, he's a hip nerd. Um, and, and also occasionally we'll throw some ninja stuff up there um, because of your martial arts background. Um, yeah. So you can find him on Twitter there. And thanks so much for sneaking us in between surgeries and all that good stuff. And it's good yeah, to chat. Yeah, this was so much fun talking to you. <laughs> Thank Thanks you so, so much. Thanks. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell a friend to do the same. Are you a postpartum mom or postpartum pro wanting to know more about getting back to running after baby? Check out all my free goodies on carriepagliano.com. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Carrie Pagliano and her guests to the show. The content should not be taken as medical advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.